Real Estate Roundtable with homebuyers' questions for real estate experts in the spring of 2020. You're listening to the Bone Knows Real Estate Podcast. Tips and advice for home buyers, sellers, and owners with award-winning Remax agent Bo Kaufman. I'm Bo Kaufman, Remax Performance Realty, residential real estate agent here in Winnipeg. And for the next hour, we're going to talk with various experts in their fields about real estate and investment and getting pre-approved and home inspections and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to um, ask my co-hosts to identify or to uh, announce themselves one at a time. We're going to start with the real estate lawyer in the group, uh, Brad McClellan. Brad, take it away. Who are you? Hi, I'm Brad McClellan. I'm with McRoberts Law Office here in Winnipeg, and I'm a, a real estate lawyer among a few other areas. And I'm happy to answer any questions today. Okay, and you you look after real, uh, residential houses and uh, and condos as well. Yeah, right? re- residential purchases and sales, um, condos, and a little bit of commercial here and there. Okay, awesome. Uh, up next, we have our mortgage specialist. We have two mortgage brokers from Dominion Lending Center. Uh, let's go, ladies first. Uh, mm-hmm. Sandy Heinen. Mm-hmm. Hi, guys. I'm Sandy Heinen, and I'm a mortgage broker at Dominion Lending. Um, I've been doing it only for about a year or so at Dominion Lending, but I have a lot of uh, mortgage experience, um, and I'm also partnered up with Mike Cabral, so Mike, take it away. (laughs) Hey, everyone. My name is uh, Mike Cabral. Uh, Sandy and I both work together as mortgage professionals uh, at Dominion Lending, Spooner Financial. Uh, I've been doing this now coming up on uh, five years. Um, I love serving and helping people. Um, especially through this crisis, just let us know if you have questions. We're here to uh, help you out and serve you. Okay, excellent. And uh, if you're buying a house and if you're lucky enough, you can um, get a um, get a home inspection. And we have our home inspector with us today, Rene Rio from A Buyer's Choice. My name is Rene. I'm with A Buyer's Choice. I've been a home inspector for uh, about four years now. Uh, I come from the general contracting field, Prior to that, for about 12 years, I love what I do. So, All right, excellent. And uh, also, for investment advice, RRSP advice, life insurance advice, we have our local expert, Tom Johnson from Cascade Financial. Yeah, hi, I'm Tom Johnson with Cascade Financial Group, as Bo said. I'm a uh, personal financial planner, and I've helped dozens of clients navigate the, uh, the planning process to get in shape to buy a house, whether it's a few months out or a few years out. So I thought we'd start off by uh, maybe following the natural path of what a home buyer is going to go through. And uh, for years now, buyers have known that they should get pre-approved first. Now, I'm going to have an argument with that. I think really they should pick their realtor first. And I'll explain that in a little bit. Um, no, there's, a, there's not, not just self-serving. There is a, there's a method to that madness because the realtor is involved in every single step of the way. And you've got to get along with your realtor. Um, and I'll explain more in a minute. But everybody, when you're in, at the time to get pre-approved, uh, now I've heard stories of people calling their bank, what's your best rate, calling their mortgage uh, uh, their, their credit union, what's your best rate, and then calling a mortgage broker. Mike, is that, a, is, is that a good course of action? Well, I'm a little biased when it comes to this. I, uh, I truly believe when it comes to, you should be looking through a mortgage professional. Um, we have access to quite a few lenders that can get you, if you're looking strictly at rate, 
Um, we have so many different lenders that we can shop for you. So that's why we are mortgage brokers. Instead of going to a bank or a credit union, they only have the one rate that they can offer at that time. Um, sometimes it's not competitive. That's what we're we're looking at. Anything you can add there, Sandy? Uh, no, you're you're right though. It's better off to um, come to us because if they go to the banks, the bank can only offer the one product. They only have their rates available to them to offer, whereas we have so many different um, opportunities and different places we can go to to get uh, rates from. There's another another concern that comes you know, comes to mind here is when you pick up the phone and you call a bank and say, what's your best rate? You don't really know whether you qualify for that rate, do you? That, that is very, very true. You don't know if you can qualify that rate. I like to, when I pick up the phone, like if I get a phone call like that, I start asking them questions and I usually ask them uh, what they do, what their credit payments have been on either like a car payment. Have they met, met those needs when it comes there? I ask them, number one, what kind of down payment they have, because if they don't have uh, the 5% down, um, I'm going to now ask them questions if they have uh, a line of credit that they can use for a flex down. Got a question here for somebody is, uh, uh, is now a good time to buy a house? Oh, I always have lots of answers for this. I honestly think it is a great time to buy a house. We're going to the spring market. There's more houses on the market. You're going to have people that have already told me, we're going to wait till this is all done. So you're going to have a lot of people that are um, afraid and scared of um, COVID. So I, if people are still looking at houses, why not buy now if, you have, if you're still working and you're not being laid off and, you can, and the affordability is there, I say, why not? You can get a deal at this point. Also, interest rates now are probably as low as I've ever seen them. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it is a great time to buy. And I can tell you, uh, it's also more important than ever now to get pre-approved. And I'll, I'll tell you exactly why. We are now, I think, coming to a point where the only way that you're going to get into a house is if you're working with a realtor. And I'll tell you why. I've got a new listing up in the, in the center of Transcona. And I've got about 12 showings. And yesterday, one of the agents that's showing it sent me a brand new form that they've just developed. The Manitoba Real Estate Association has just come out with this. And the agent and every one of her buyers had to sign it and answer four basic questions. And they are, have you been outside the country? Have you been in uh, contact with somebody who displays the symptoms of, of COVID, like, you know, coughing and fever? Do you have those symptoms? And uh, there's another question. It's all COVID-related. The point is that the only way you're going to get into a house nowadays is if you are able to you know, certify all those, those answers. And I think it's going to go a step further, too. Is a lot of sellers are going to say, the only people I want in my house are ones that are pre-approved and ready mm-hmm. to buy. I don't want strangers coming into my house. And I can see open houses, for example, coming to an end. They, they are already now because... Uh, because of the constrictions, but I think even in the future, some sellers are going to say, I don't want all this unqualified traffic coming into my house. What do you think, Mike? I, I, I am surprised this hasn't actually happened a long time ago when it comes to qualified people, because why, why are you looking if you can't afford? I honestly, and I, and I think that's going to happen in every single industry. And that's going to come to that point with sellers too. They're not going to want to have uh, unqualified traffic coming into their house. Um, which brings us to the next thing. Um, as far as down payments go, uh, let's talk with Tom uh, regarding using uh, RRSPs for down payment. Uh, Tom, what are the rules if you uh, want to use RRSPs for your down payment? So there's a program that's available for anyone who's a first-time home buyer. 
uh, means it has to be a few years since you or your spouse owned a home, so it can't be used for a second property or a cottage. It can't be used if you're you know, moving into a new house and you've already owned one pre-existing. But if you're a first-time home buyer and you're eligible, you can redeem up to $35,000 from your RSP, no taxes. So that's a great avenue for some people who might be struggling to find that extra little bit they need for their down payment. People for higher income tax brackets that are looking to save more effectively for down payments, they can save inside an RSP and know that that's available for them to use to uh, to get into the housing market. Okay, now what's a first-time home buyer? It's anyone over the age of 18 who has not owned a house or their spouse has not owned a house in the last, I believe it's five years. I'll double check the exact rule on that, but there's a specific window of time that you need to not have been on title in order to be considered a first-time home buyer. Okay. There's actually, I found out last week by talking to Mike and Sandy that, that there is another provision uh, when people get a divorce that uh, Mike, do you want to fill us in on that? So it's dissolution or this, uh, yeah. Pretty much a divorce or separation. Don't get fancy. <laughs> yeah, no fancy words. But it's like when the, the marriage breaks down or the, the relationship breaks down, um, you can requalify for this uh, up to the $35,000 RRSP as well. A lot of people that are in those situations uh, are not aware of this, which um, can help them purchase that home to, to live in. Yeah. So just to use an example, <clears throat> husband and wife, let's just take traditional marriage, husband and wife, they've owned a house together. They're both on title. They, uh, they split up and they both need to buy a separate house. They can both and each be uh, approved or qualified as a first time buyer. Correct. They can both use it. Yes. As okay. long as they have the RSPs. Like as long as they have the funds um, saved in an RSP designation. Okay. And, and Tom, you were telling me a, a while back is how long does that money, that RSP have to be in there before they can pull it out for, uh, for down payment? Uh, it has to be there for at least 90 days. So as long as you've satisfied that 90-day period, you get your deduction for the money being in the RSP, and then you get to take it out tax-free. So the interesting thing that comes to mind is, let's say this week, let's say it's April 1st. If there's somebody listening that wants to buy a house in July or August, and they have $15,000 right now or $20,000, um, they can put whatever their maximum is into an RSP, and in 90 days, they can pull it out and use it, and then next year, they'll get a tax deduction. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's correct, Bo. Yeah, they'd get a large tax deduction for the 2020 tax year, as long as they've got the RSP contribution room available to them and the uh, the income to support using the deduction, uh, you'd be looking at a nice hefty refund next year. It's like free money. So if you're looking at buying a, a house in the spring, a trick would be to, to take all your, um, your down, down payment money that you've got saved in October or November, go see Tom and buy a, a safe RRSP. I'm not saying put it into GM or something, but put it into a safe <laughs> RRSP. And then come springtime, you can pull that money out and get a hefty refund from uh, from the government of Canada, free money. And in some cases, it may be three, four, five thousand dollars. It may be enough to pay for your closing costs. So that's a that's a neat trick that Tom taught me last week. Hey, Tom, just a question for the listeners. Um, Absolutely. What's the timeline on paying back the RSPs when you mm -hmm. take them out for a down payment? So you get a two year grace period. So the year you purchase your home, you get two years off where you don't have to do any repayment, and then. The, uh, the timeline is one fifteenth of whatever you withdrew over the course of 15 years. So napkin math, easy math. If you take $15,000 out of your RSP for your down payment, you put back $1,000 a year for the next 15 years and okay. you completely 
repaid the program. Any year that you don't put a repayment in, you take in that one fifteenth increment as taxable income. So again, in our example, if you don't pay the $1,000 into your RSP, you have an extra $1,000 of income to declare for the year. Okay, on another subject, Tom, someone's asking, my bank is offering me mortgage insurance. Should I get it or is life insurance a better option? Personal life insurance, if you qualify for it, absolutely every single day of the week. Bank insurance, for those who aren't familiar with it, uh, has to be offered. Our mortgage, mortgage brokers will attest that anytime somebody does a deal, they are by law required to put it on the table as an offer. Uh, it's optional for the person to take it, but in most scenarios, the insurance program that gets paired with your mortgage is not the same as personal life insurance. It's often a declining balance. It's stuck with that particular bank or lender. And if you decide to fire that lender because there's better rates when you're up for renewal, you might lose the coverage. Lots of times it's not underwritten until after something's happened to you and they look at your case and go, you know what, we wouldn't have offered them insurance in the first place. And you're only getting your premiums refunded instead of the actual payout. Uh, there's all sorts of horror stories. It takes 30 seconds to Google. And so if you qualify for personal insurance, it's cheaper. It's a better product. Uh, it saves people money and they walk away with a peace of mind that that policy is theirs. And when they go back to renew their mortgage, they've got the, the powers on their side. They're not beholden to any particular bank's insurance policy. Yeah, that's right. And talking about horror stories, a friend of mine went through this. His mom had a mortgage insurance and at the end of it, he said to me, uh, Bo, whatever you do, tell everybody not to get this. The, the contract with the bank was 12 pages long, he says, and 11 and a half pages were designed to get the bank out of paying that insurance. I don't think at the end he ever got the money. So it's life insurance is a way better vehicle. Yeah, personal insurance, it's underwritten up front. Um, the contract's in your hands and the insurance company's bound to stick by it. So unless you lied and told them something absolutely not true, they're stuck paying out no matter what down the road. So let's say we're going out looking at houses and we're lucky we find one. We have the ability to get a home inspection done. How long does the home inspection usually take? Well, so before I get into that, a lot of times people, they, they assume that the the best place to sort of insert the home inspector is once the deal is consummated. And a lot of times the best place is when you start looking at houses. So one of the, one of the problems that um, a lot of agents, they may not have the ability to answer all of the technical questions. Sometimes what happens is they defer to when we are going to do a home inspection. And the problem with that is that sometimes they're looking at a house that they really shouldn't have. You know, it's, it's not that we get involved necessarily in terms of inspecting until there's a deal consummated. It's that they can then ask the right questions prior to to help guide them through that whole process. You know, if they're looking for a fixer upper, well, now we sort of know what they should be sort of looking at and maybe avoiding or things that really don't matter because they are going to do some of those things. So a lot of agents are starting to get me involved a lot sooner. You know, with the advances of technology, it's pretty easy to answer questions with clients when they're in the houses, you know, things they see. And oftentimes it's not understanding. So it's it's sort of bringing down the stress level as they're going through the house. You know, we can help sort of alleviate some of these hangups that they may have and not understand. That said, you know, moving on to the actual home inspection they're anywhere from two to three hours. They are extremely comprehensive, but not invasive. So we don't right. move things. We don't take things apart. We don't wreck things to see behind. We carry the tools to be able to do all that. A large part of the time that we spent during the home inspection is actually in educating the clients on maintenance and, and things that they need to do to make sure that the house stays the way that they bought it. 
You know, that's the biggest mistake people make. They buy a house, they assume it's going to stay the same just by doing nothing. And it's just not the reality. So a lot of it is essentially coaching them on owning that house. And that's really where the time comes in. You know, a, a client that's really involved will take three hours with me. Uh, one that's a little less engaged, we can usually get through them in, in two. The few times that I've done them without the clients there, usually an hour, hour and a half, we can get through an entire house. That doesn't include the, the time we spend to actually write the report though. Uh, traditionally, when, when I write an offer, usually we make uh, the home inspection a subject of the offer, like a condition of the offer. But you were telling me actually that you also offer pre-offer inspections. Well, how does that work? So essentially that the problem in Winnipeg is certain housing segments are way hotter than others where you're going into property or clients are going into properties where there may be 15 to 20 offers. The chance of putting a home inspection is is almost impossible. So essentially when I started looking at this, it was maybe a little bit self-serving. I wanted to get a little bit of action on those clients that I would normally not. And I developed a program that honestly ended up working out quite well. Essentially, it is called the pre-offer inspection. It is a one-hour walkthrough with the client. Essentially, we go in to talk about the major things, the things that they're concerned about, and obviously things that I see as they walk up, right? If we're looking at 100-year-old houses, there's certain things that I believe we need to look at. If it's a three-year-old house, it's a completely different set of things that we're going to make sure to look at. Now, the difference is the upfront cost is only $100. And the whole point of this is to try to minimize their cost because they don't even know if they're going to get the house. So for $100, I come in, it's usually about an hour that I spend with them. There's no reports. And really, the, the commitment's fairly low by the client. If they write an offer and they lose the house, I allow them to bank the hundred or the hundred dollars. So they move on to the next house, house number two. We do another pre-offer because they're if they're looking in a hot segment, they're going to be staying in that hot segment. Right. And I've had some clients that have done three, four, five of these things. And essentially what I let them do is that hundred dollars that they keep banking every time. When they finally do land on a house, they get to do the full inspection. And I do that at, at uh, time of possession. They pay the balance. So if a home inspection was four fifty or five hundred dollars, and they've already put three hundred dollars towards uh, these pre-offer inspections, then they have two hundred dollars on a five hundred dollar inspection. Um, I've had a few clients that have paid for their full inspection just with these pre-offers. It allows me to sort of help them through the process. Unfortunately, without the report and everything else, they sort of miss out on the best parts of the inspection, which is, you know, the the errors and emissions and liability insurance that I put on the house and my ninety day warranty and all those things. So. That is why it's important to really do a full inspection with reports. It also gives them the opportunity to have their, what I call their honeydew list, right? The things <laughs> they need to check off as they move in and start taking care of that place. It gives them a little bit more flexibility without having to put four or $500 every single time. But then they can still write a strong offer with, with a bit of peace of mind. Right. And just to clarify, when you said that they can bank that and then they can have a full inspection on possession... I just want to make sure everybody understands that at that point, if the inspection comes back and finds a whole bunch of stuff, they can't back out of the deal. They, they, they do this inspection after they've taken possession and after they've bought the house. It is kind of a, a halfway, and, and, and I like the service, it's kind of a halfway point. It gives the client a quick look at the house. 
maybe they have a couple of concerns about some major items and that, that the realtor can't answer in some cases. It, it just gives them a little level of comfort and tells them whether or not they really want to go through with putting an offer, especially if there's multiple offers and you won't get it for full price. You're going to have to step up and, and, you know, and step up to the plate. On, on that one there, Bo, what, just, just off the top, have you seen in the last month houses um, being sold for over list price? Yes. Is what we're going on for. Absolutely. Uh, I just did, the, <clears throat> I did a quick check in Transcona because I was listing this house that I've got listed now. And in, in this price range, which is like the two to $300,000 price range, there was, I believe there was eight sales and four of them went multiple offers. So, so far right now, uh, the showings on mine started on Friday and I've had six showings on Friday, three on Saturday, four today. So that's 13 showings. Anecdotally, I can tell you probably last spring I would have had more. But I, I, I tend to believe that the ones that are looking right now are still the, the, the very serious ones. But we'll see what happens on Tuesday, whether there's going to be multiple offers or not. But the showings are, I'm not disappointed, 13 showings. I'll probably get a few more tomorrow. By the time it's done, maybe 15 showings, whatever. That's, I'm not disappointed in that at all. As a listing agent, I don't want 100 different people traipsing through my house. I don't even want, I had one with 24 offers. That's a lot of wasted paper. And really, out of 24 offers, 20 of them were, you just, you know, I to the side because three or four of them go to the top. And funny story is, the one that won it is one that had a full-blown home inspection. And back then, it was like $400 or $350. They had it done, and they're the ones who stepped up and put the most money in. So if I'm working for a seller and somebody says to me, hey, my buyer wants to have a full-blown home inspection. Of course, the seller always has the final word. That is, you know, before we're taking offers. And I've had sellers say, oh, no, I don't want that. I says, listen, I says, these people are serious. They're going to plunk down 400 bucks, whatever. They want your house bad. And if it comes out as clean as I think the house will, they're really going to step up to the plate on, possession, on, uh, on offers day. So let them in. That's, that's my advice anyway to the seller. Well, I got a question for you, Mike. Is in some provinces, it's actually become quite popular for sellers to have a home inspection done on their own home before they put it on the market. Do you see much of that happening in Winnipeg? I do probably 30 to 40 a year. Of uh, sellers doing pre-inspection? Yeah. Um, I just did one in, in River Park South. Right? The house actually, the good things, the expensive things are all good. There's, there's a few little you know, cosmetic things that are, are not as desirable. So the whole point of the home inspection that to highlight the things that people may glaze over and now they can reiterate in the inspection and hopefully right. get a few extra buyers interested where they may have passed on just because they, they got hung up on certain things. So it's becoming more and more of a, of a thing. And I know a lot of the buyer's choice franchises in, in Alberta are doing quite mm -hmm. a bit. That's what I was talking about. Alberta is a big one that they do it. Even in the States too, I see more and more people. Um, I think it's more a buyer's market there and the sellers want to stand out so that you know, with their house, they can, they can show a pre-inspection. The problem that I see with that is if the inspection shows up any hidden defects, now the seller has to disclose it, don't they? Yes, that's not a bad thing. Because we're going to find them either way. Right. If, if you have a, an inspector coming into the house, they're going to find those deficiencies. Now, if you've made a pre-inspection available to buyers, 
they can't come back after they write an offer and say, we've found this because it's already been declared. You've now gotten ahead of it and the negotiation sort of goes back to the seller. Whereas a lot of times I find things and the first thing buyers want to do is let's go after the other, the, the seller and, and see if we can get more money off. And I, oftentimes I have to sort of explain to them that this is not necessarily always the reason for a home inspection, right? If, if there's a, something that we recommend in a house doesn't mean it's a deficiency, right? Things that were built in the sixties and things that were built today, they're not deficiencies. So if, you get ahead of them. A lot of times it will help with the, the negotiation process because now you're, you're fully upfront. There's nothing they can come back and, and say, look, we didn't know about this or, you know, aluminum wiring is one of the big ones, right? right? People don't know if they have it in their house. Well, we've now stated it. Maybe there's a report that's been done by an electrician already and you can provide that. We, we can educate them to deal with some of this stuff. Um, and I, I've been finding a lot of our clients that are doing these pre-offer or the, the pre-listing inspection are actually getting ahead of this stuff. They can bring an electrician, do a, a two $300 report for the aluminum, and then now they sell it with it. So that's the, right. the hiccup that normally would have been there is no longer there. Yeah, that's, that's something I personally look for. I, I know aluminum was really popular in some neighborhoods anything from 1960 to 1976. So as soon as somebody calls me with that age of house, I'll, I'll pop a cover and I'll see if I can find aluminum and then recommend that. Uh, if there is, I, I'd recommend that they have an electrician certify the house because buyers coming in now uh, trying to get home insurance. And if it's got aluminum wiring, sometimes the insurance company really balks at it. And if you can't get insurance, you can't get your mortgage. If you can't get your mortgage, you don't get the house. Um, so the whole thing can fall apart. Now, the thing is, there were certain houses that were built with copper wiring. So if you don't announce it, the assumption is there. And right. sometimes you actually have a selling feature that's not being used. I've done three, four houses in the 70s that don't have aluminum wiring. Oh, no, they they, that's right. There's lots. There's lots that haven't, but a lot Maybe of people then assume both. that there is. Yeah. yeah. And that could be a deterrent, right? Renee, can you actually elaborate on why aluminum wiring is actually bad for some people. Like I, I honestly don't understand why aluminum bad wiring is bad compared to copper. Um, can you just so elaborate on that? Wiring is not bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's still used today. Okay. The, the problem with aluminum wiring is that, so you go to home Depot to buy new plugs in your house, you're buying copper only rated plugs. So the aluminum wire is a wire. It's a thicker uh, gauge wire. Yep. Uh, it's softer. There, there's more things you can do wrong. So for an electrician to use it, there is nothing wrong with it. The problem is the do-it-yourself market has exploded in the last 20, 30 years. And people don't understand that you cannot match a copper-only plug to a an aluminum wire. Or that when you connect a copper wire and an aluminum wire, it works <coughs> differently. And there are certain things that have to be done. So all of that, that's what the insurance companies are are essentially finding that their their liability has increased on aluminum wiring. That's what the inspection by an electrician does, is that they go in, they check all the connections, they make sure that all the right products are used. And then this way, it, it alleviates some of that fear for insurance companies. Aluminum wiring is still being used today in certain applications. They've taken it completely out of the, the residential, residential market because yep. of the do-it-yourself issues. 
the other thing too is really uh, nothing wrong with aluminum wiring. No, there isn't. And the the um, the, the thing is that um, you go to Home Depot, like uh, Renee said, and you get yourself a plug or a, a switch that's a dollar nineteen. You can buy the aluminum rated ones that are good for aluminum, but they're like eight or ten dollars. So people tend to buy just the quickest, easiest, and uh, that's that's where problems come in. Same with light fixtures. I mean, people that bought a house in the nineteen seventies. And now they want to upgrade it to the latest halogen lights and everything. That's all copper, and it just doesn't match up. And uh, that's when electrical problems can happen. You're listening to Bo Kaufman of Remax Performance Realty. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Bo knows real estate. Are you looking to buy a house or a condo in Winnipeg? Work with the agent who takes the time to explain the process to you, guiding you through every step. For service beyond the sale, book your home buying consultation with Bo Kaufman of Remax Performance today. Bo knows real estate. I want to turn now to uh, to our to our lawyer friend. I got a question for him, and we're talking about home inspection. If I put in a, a condition of subject to a home inspection. And uh, the seller accepts it, and we have like three days to have the home inspection. Three days come up. Can the buyer back out for any reason whatsoever? In my experience, it's pretty. It's a pretty wide net. You, you know, you have to you have to point to something typically, but I mean, it, it can be pretty minor. Like I, right. you know, I've, I've seen people say that yeah, there, there was a single crack in, in the foundation of the basement and scared them off. You know what I mean? Right. It, it's a pretty relative, like financing is, is different. You can't just back out on a financing condition. You have to not get approved. You have to be able to prove that you couldn't get approval. Um, home inspection, it's pretty wide open. It's basically, I would say it's akin to the cooling off conditions on a condo. You right. see something you don't like, you're out. It's one of the best, from a buyer's perspective, it's one of the best conditions to have because it's basically like a veto card. That's, that's right. No, and I've exactly. never written a clean inspection, ever. No, there's always something, right? I mean, there's always something you can say. Absolutely, there is always something. And this is why my point was why sellers hate a home inspection. Yeah. And I've had sellers turn down $10,000 higher offers because the $10,000 lower one didn't have a home inspection. So right away, some buyers think, well, there must be something wrong with the house. No, you have to understand the condition that in three days, the buyer can change his mind. They can find yeah. something else for sale. I've had one. But now there, there is a limit to this. You actually, uh, I believe you actually have to kind of go through the inspection. You can't just three days later say, um, not do the inspection and say, yeah. I'm backing out. Uh, so you have to actually pay for an inspector. And like, uh, like you said, Brad, with uh, finance condition, that's different. Uh, the seller can actually demand a, a letter from the bank saying that these people have been turned down. Whereas with a home inspection, I don't think the seller can demand a copy of the home inspection report, can they? No, they can't. Okay. So it's just a matter of, yeah, if, you, if you're a buyer, a home inspection is a great condition. I'd love to put one in on everyone because it gets me off the hook a little bit too, because I've been doing this for 15 years, but I'm not a contractor. I'm not an expert on, on all the, the, the different things that go into a house. So if I can have the backup of a home inspector, I would love to write a home inspection on every one of my offers. Reality is in Winnipeg, especially in the hot market, like I said, you got a $260,000, $280,000 house, you're going to have six offers on it. And the seller is going to gravitate towards the offer that doesn't have a home inspection. 
it's to the point where in some of those places people are doing them without financing conditions just to be you know yeah. the, the unconditional offer which I, right. I always say is a bad idea personally but <laughs> it is yeah. each their own. Yeah. Hey Brad that was my next question to uh, Bo um, was when do you as a realtor recommend to your clients to put an unconditional offer in because I've okay. seen this with other agents yep um, so I just want to know what your personal uh, view is on it Okay, no, that's that's a really good question. I'm glad you're asking me. Okay, so for every for every buyer I have, I know who their uh, mortgage broker is. I have a good conversation with that mortgage broker. If my buyer's only able to put down 5% and doesn't have any backup, doesn't have any additional money, even if the mortgage person, the mortgage lender says these people are golden, I highly recommend against putting in an unconditional offer. Because CMHC can come back and say, there is an issue here. You need to put down 10%. If they don't have it, they're going to they're gonna lose that house and lose the deposit. Where I do tend to be more uh, liberal with that, and I, I explain to them um, the ups and downs. Um, if I have a buyer who's got 15% down, 20, even 20% down, and we are definitely competing, I, I'll explain to them that, look, this is, this is what can happen. But if I have a buyer that says, I absolutely need that house, it's, I think it's my job to explain to them all the, all the different ways that they can get that house and putting an unconditional offer. If, if they're that solid, and if I'm confident that the house is worth the money that they're offering for it, um, then I will tell them, go ahead. That's what you want to do. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, Bo. From my perspective, I mean, my, my baseline would be never an unconditional offer, but in some cases it right. does make sense. And especially if they know the, the risk. Because I mean, the risk in most cases, the worst case scenario is that you'd lose your deposit. The absolute worst case. You know what I mean? Right. Maybe be sued for the difference if you put a really high <laughs> offer. That, that, you know, that's, oh, in a really bad case, you could lose. You know, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, but, but, that's but, right. No, it it's, is. That's a calculated risk. So I mean, honestly, if they're, if they're in a position to make that calculated risk, and if, I mean, honestly, if their finances are in line, the odds of them not getting the financing are pretty, pretty low right. for people like in the situation you're talking 20% down, maybe have other assets, but yeah, it's, it's just, I, I've, I've seen some on the other end and I, I get a little nervous sometimes. And, you know, obviously, you know, I just, uh, very cautious to, to tell people that my, myself as the lawyer, but, uh, right. I, I get it from a competitive uh, side of things. Cause you know, if you want to buy a nice house in uh, say river Heights or something, it could be tough in the spring yep. market. And then, and then I always get, you know, the buyer, the buyer says, well, I talked to my bank and my bank says, never, ever, never, ever put in an unconditional offer. And I'm thinking in the back of my hand, of course, the, the bank is, is safe to give that kind of advice, but they're mm-hmm. not the ones who are going to lose out on this house. Yeah. And they're not the ones, <laughs> right? So it's always good to give advice that's a hundred percent protection. But if you don't get anywhere, what's, what's yeah. the whole point, yeah. right? Yeah. So no, I've, um, uh, yeah, I've, I've been very careful with that. Knock on wood, I've never had anybody lose their deposit. I don't ever want to put anybody in that position. But also lately, the thing is that sometimes the appraisal hasn't come back with what the house is going for. You have to have that extra little bit of room in your deposit. Mm-hmm. So if you're putting down 5% and, and um, you know, CMHC calls for an appraisal, and that $320,000 house comes back at three hundred and ten, and the buyer has to come up with an extra $10,000, as long as they have it, or as long as they have a way of getting it, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's having a co-signer or something like mm-hmm. that, as long as we're covered that way. Good question, though, uh, Mike. I like that. Another question for the lawyer is, sure. talking about uh, buying a $300,000 house, how big should my deposit be? Dave wants to know. 
Now, remember, well, you're, you're representing the buyer. What do you think? A I dollar, always, right? As, yeah, <laughs> as low as you can, right? Yeah, that's but, right, exactly. But you have to show a certain level of being serious because, I mean, if you, if you try to put the deposit too low, you can kind of, the, uh, the, you don't have any skin in the game and the vendor can say, I don't that's trust right. this guy. That's right. So, um, $300,000 house, I'd say the average I see is somewhere in between five and 10,000. Yeah. Right on the money. Exactly. Um, my advice would be, of course, go as low as the seller will accept. Oh, but if always, you, yeah. yeah. But if you come in uh, to a $300,000 house with a $500 deposit in all likelihood, uh, if I was working for the seller, if I was a listing agent, I would say, no, this isn't going to fly because what happens is for the next six weeks or eight weeks until possession, that house comes off the market. And if yeah. you, the buyer, walk from it, you lose your deposit. Now, the seller can sue for more, but how often do you see that happening, Brad? How often do you it, see that happening? Very rare. Right. Very rare. It's very rare even to see a deposit forfeited. I've never had one forfeited yet. I've had a couple close, but uh, it's always worked out in the end, which is good. Um, but yeah, suing for the difference. I mean, you have to substantiate damages, right? And then you have to... The damages have to be such that it's worthwhile pursuing them. They're either, they either have to be so small that you can do it through small claims or they have to be so large that, it, that you could necessitate a Queen's bench action, right? It's, yeah. So basically, you'd have to have this sweetheart offer that falls through and you cannot sell your house for even close to it, right? Right. And then you got to collect on a judgment, I always tell people. You know, right. if this person doesn't have any money, no assets, yeah. you know, a judgment's a piece of paper if you can't collect on it, right? Yep. So. so it's best for the seller, it's best to get a sizable deposit, some, yes. something that keeps the buyer in the game no matter yeah. what happens. Now, having said that, I've had, it was my listing, another agent brought the offer with a $10,000 deposit and on possession date, they, the buyer disappeared and uh, we got to keep $10,000. Yeah. So Which it does It does isn't happen. so bad, right? Yeah. Um, uh, on the other extreme, I had a condo, the ports on Pembina, right? 1600 oh. something Pembina yeah. Highway, right? Um, it, this is going back a few years. We had, it was a $250,000 condo. We had three offers. One of them had a deposit check for $100,000. That's the largest I've ever seen. And you know what? The seller turned it down because the other offer had a $20,000 deposit, but it was more money. There was more yeah. money on the offer. So a good size deposit comes in handy and it's helpful if you're in multiple offer situation if your offer matches the other people's offer. So yeah. if, you're, if you're both offering roughly the same amount of money, but your deposit is much bigger, it will help you stand out. Mortgage broker, question for you. Where do I find a phone number to get my mortgage payment deferred? Do you get a lot of people right now that uh, with this situation that want to defer their mortgage payments? I have had this question a lot. I have it on my Facebook page. I put it on there. I have it on my website. They can go there as well. Uh, a lot of my clients have actually just been messaging me directly. I've been reaching out to my clients as well and asking them if they need this deferral payment. Um, and I always, the number one question is, are you laid off right now? Because people are asking me, should I defer? And I'm still working. If you have one person on the mortgage, like if you're single or if you have a partner on there and you're both working, you don't need to have these deferral payments because if your wage is staying the same, you, you can still afford your mortgage at that time. But if you are laid off, I've been giving them the number. So like I said, on my Facebook page and also on my blog on my website, I have put it on there so you can find those numbers. Um, worst case scenario, if you need this number, get your mortgage lender. So let's say it's uh, First National. Google First National 
mortgage customer service number. That Google number will come up right away on Google search. So these are a few ways that you can get it. And um, be patient when there's all these people that are calling in. Right. It, it might get disconnected. I don't know if anyone else has had that trouble this this, yeah. this week or the last couple of weeks because of cell phone calls. Um, just try a few times until you can get somebody either automated person where it says what numbers you need to push um, and just be patient. I'm just telling people because there is a lot of Canadians uh, are in the same boat. So um, just just be patient with everything and it's easy to get this number. Sunny, have anything to add in there? Um, well, some of the lenders also have the option that you can email them just because I've heard from a few people that they have a hard time getting through on the phone. So if you're having a hard time getting through using a phone number, then maybe look them up or contact us so we can get you the email so you can email them directly instead of calling all the like, repeatedly. Another thing us as mortgage brokers can do, uh, I just, just remember this, is we have a client consent form for each lender and we can actually work on your behalf and try to get this information and deferral for you. So I've uh, sent a, a few of these forms in for clients to actually do it for them. So Mike, I have a quick question for you about the deferral program. And it might dip for lender to lender, I'm not sure, but is it a deferral of principal payments? You're still paying interest, right? No, you can defer oh, the whole deferral payment. interest too. Okay. Yeah, it's defer the whole payment. And uh, different lenders, is, is all, it's all different. Like okay. they'll do, I've had people, they said, okay, we'll defer for two months. They've had people, okay, we'll defer for this month and you need to recall back in for the next month. They're taking a case by case per right. person. Month because by month, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, we're in um, uncharted territories right now. Yeah, kind of nice so that they're good. doing that anyway, so. Yeah. Mike, just to elaborate on the, uh, on the interest or the payment deferrals, for most lenders, if not all lenders, interest is being charged on deferred payments, correct? It's being tacked onto the back end by the outstanding mortgage balance. And then part two, um, I've heard rumblings of, and I don't know the actual ins and outs, but is there any hit to a person's credit report or credit bureau as a result of deferring payments? No, the government of Canada has come out and said that they will waive any deferred payments on your mortgage. It will not show up on your TransUnion or your Equifax credit report due to this. And also to touch on that one, Tom, is yeah, they'll be putting it on your port principal balance for the deferred payment with the interest charge. Question here for, uh, for Tom, for investments. Tanya wants to know, is now a good time? Should I be paying down my mortgage? I guess she's, she's keeping her job. Um, paying down my mortgage or should I invest that money? That's a tricky question and it's usually on a, a case-by-case basis. Uh, with interest rates so low right now, it's a really good time to compare what can your money do for you. And it's really based on an individual person's circumstance. So if you assume the person, if this Tanya doesn't need to have the cash on hand for the short term and they're looking for a longer term investment, it's relatively easy to outdo 2 to 3% interest rates on a mortgage and earn more and make your money work harder for you. So as long as the after-tax return that you can get on your investments is higher than your mortgage payment, uh, your net worth will grow faster naturally by investing. The other side of that coin is the, the liquidity side of things. If you invest in an RRSP, you might not be touching that money until you're retired because you don't want to pay the tax bill for redeeming early. Whereas if it's inside a tax-free savings account, you might do better by investing now. And if interest rates go up and you want to pay down your mortgage next time it comes up for renewal, you can take it out of your tax-free savings. So on a case-by-case basis, we need to look at a number of different factors, but by and large, with interest rates being so low, as long as you're investing in a tax-smart manner, you're 
probably going to be better off in the long haul. Speaking of uh, interest rates, uh, Mike uh, or Sandy, what are the best rates? Like, we're assuming that somebody has uh, got a great credit rating. What are the best rates that somebody can get right now for a five-year mortgage? Go ahead, Sandy. I was going to say, you go ahead. They're, <laughs> they're really low there for a bit, but now some of them, or most of them have gone up a little bit again right now. So five-year, what would you say? 2.59, depending on the lender. Um, you can get rates around that um, still, which is, on, that's on a fix. So that's based on a five-year fixed rate. Um, and then uh, variable, it's prime, which not all lenders have lowered their prime to 2.45 yet. Um, you're looking anywhere from prime minus one to prime minus 0.1. Take a look at different lenders when it comes to the variable rate, uh, if you're looking at that variable rate. Tough question here, but would you recommend somebody get a variable rate, something that can change week to week or month to month? You have to know your client. This is 100% a know your client question. If I see somebody coming into me and their money is in a GIC and they know it's maturing on XYZ date just before, so they can take it out, I know that they're a conservative person and they need to know what their fixed payments are. So I would recommend to them, you need to take a fixed mortgage just because they won't be able to handle the volatility if it continues to go up and down. They'll like it when it's down and low but they most likely won't like to see it go up. Um, And then I just asked them, what what do you want in your mortgage? Like if your plan is to stay in this house for five years and not have to worry about penalties, there's a lot more to just your mortgage than than just rate. It's it's, what's your future plan? Are you staying in this house for four years and then sell in uh, four and a half years? Um, What's your penalty on that? Or is it uh, a one year? You, You have to look at, at that whole situation when it comes to if you want a variable or if you want a fixed. Um, but currently, I'd go case-by-case case scenario on each client. I like a variable. If you're going to get a prime minus one, that's 1.45%. We've never seen that before. So if you, could, I know I could find um, some lenders have 0.1 or uh, 1% off of the that's variable amazing. mortgage. So that, it's outrageous. So that's, that's a lot of money. It's almost a whole percentage off. Probably one of the last questions we're going to have is uh, during these times with the, with the COVID and the social distancing and everything else, how does each of your businesses uh, cope with that? Are your, are your doors open? Are you doing more online? Uh, maybe we'll start with our, our lawyer friend, Brad. Is uh, McRoberts, you guys are open? We are open. Uh, it is a bit limited in what we are uh, bringing into the office as far as client meetings go. A lot of it's done remotely. A lot of it can be done remotely. The courts are adapting or the courts are closed uh, as far as hearings are concerned, but they are open as far as filing documents goes. But even that, it, they're adapting that we can file documents without like affidavits, without signatures, provided that the lawyer provides an undertaking that it will be sworn before hearing. So things like that have changed to allow us to a little bit more flexibility. I mean, you know, we, we live in a digital age, so we're doing a lot of stuff by email, a lot of stuff over the phone. Meetings between council aren't really taking place anymore. We're, we're just doing it virtually, whether it's by Zoom or, or FaceTime or uh, some other app like that. But yeah, it's, it's been business as usual as much as we can. Uh, right. We really are trying to offer a full line of services. Uh, certain things, you know, we, we have to be able to sign real estate documents. We have to be able to sign wells. So that's not changing. Um, we're just doing it differently. We're doing a lot of sanitizing. Our, our waiting room looks very different. Uh, yeah. There's three chairs instead of 12. Um, Six feet apart. We're, 
Yeah, we're yeah. asking people to come in on their own. Uh, no, you know, no additional uh, guests with them or, or visitors. Uh, so we're, we're trying to do those things, uh, doing a bit of work remotely as well. Uh, I've got a uh, remote login. I was in isolation for two weeks, just off now. So it's nice to be able to be back in the office a little bit, but I intend to try and do as much from home as I can do my part. So yeah, okay. we're taking it seriously, but we are, uh, we are open for business. Tom, how about you? Yeah, we're, we're in a very similar boat. We're uh, considered an essential service in uh, any province that's locked down to the bare essentials. Uh, if somebody needs to get money out of their investments, somebody needs to put money in their investments, somebody needs to do a death claim or disability claim, like we need to be there. We're just asking people to refrain from coming into the office as much as possible. If you're capable of doing a virtual meeting or a phone meeting, if we can work by scan, fax, email, telephone picks, smoke signals, we'll do whatever we can <laughs> to, try, to try and maintain social distancing and again, do our part. We've got a, a stack of um, single-use pens up front for anybody that comes in to sign. We've got questionnaires to make sure that we capture contact information from anybody who comes into the office in case they are uh, they are exposed. We want to be able to follow that chain back and make sure that we're screening out people who've gone for travel. So very similar boat, I'm sure, to most of you where, uh, unless it's absolutely necessary, we're avoiding face-to-face contact. Right. Renee, uh, have you done anything special like... Uh are you maybe keeping your home inspections? Like the people that come to the inspection, are you limiting the numbers? I know sometimes they, bring, they want to bring the whole family and stuff like that. But are you doing anything different? Well, I mean, I, I've always told agents that it's never a good idea to use the home inspection as the let's show the whole family the house. Right. I think right now it is just understood that that's just not acceptable. So for me, I mean, it's it's more about educating them as we go through the house, you know, for us as a home inspector, we're wearing gloves, we're wearing the booties, we're all the stuff that we weren't necessarily doing before. And it's as much to protect the buyer that we're inspecting for as much as the seller that is allowing us in the house. Right. Uh, we do talk about a, a bit more distance between you know myself and the client when we're going through the house. Uh, a lot of them are even looking at using some of the other options that, you know, I can do a video inspection. Essentially, the agent follows me with, with Skype and we do it all remotely via video. Okay. Um, I have had some clients that are down south for the winter and that's right. how we've done the inspection. But now we're starting to see a little bit more of that. Everything for us is paperless anyways. So payments are no longer like I have had a few clients pay me with cash this week, which was a little awkward. You know, yeah, right. you don't really know what to do with the money. You should quarantine it for 14 days. Here, put it, put it, put it in this pocket here. <laughs> you know, for the most part, our clients are paying by credit card, e-transfers, things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, signing our contracts and all that is all done on their own phone at home before they even show up. So the need to have any human contact, even though they're in this space with us, really the, the biggest difference has been asking them to not literally breathe over my shoulder. Right. Um, you know, they can enter the room, but don't, yeah. don't crowd. Yeah. And I, I do tell agents that they should be telling their clients that the whole family does not need to be there. Right. And it you, just, should get a, you should get a jacket on the collar in very, very fine print. It'll say, if you can read this, you're standing too close. <laughs> you're too close. <laughs> yeah. That's a or great if I, idea. Yeah. If it, I can feel your hot breath on my neck, you're too close. Yes. I mean, um, masks and th things like that we do have, but uh, I just, there's definitely been a, a shift in, in attendance yeah. where I've, I've been doing a lot more of them without the clients there. If they are, 
we definitely sort of go over the rules with them beforehand. And it's as much to respect the house that we're in. I have to also think about myself coming home. Right. Right. I, I take home three to four homes a day back home. Right. So, you know, when I walk into the door, three or four sets of customers, to that's right. Everybody yeah. else. So, Mike and Sandy bringing it up. Uh, you guys, are you still meeting clients in your office or is it mostly online? I'd say mostly online. Mike and I are pretty lucky uh, to begin with. The majority of our stuff is done <laughs> online. Lots of the time, people don't want to come into the office anymore. They like to right. do everything remote and have the documents sent. So it hasn't been too big of an impact yet. What, about, what do you say, Mike? Yeah, I'm with you, Sandy. Like, I've had one this past week that they asked me, hey, can we meet in person? Um, and I actually had to coach them through how to use Zoom and what link they had to do to actually meet with me. And they just had some quick questions. And it was very funny because they, they didn't even know what Zoom was until we had the call, which was, which was good. And then they filled out the application online afterwards. So I've been just telling people, if you want to really see my, my face and my shiny head, we can um, meet via Zoom. Um, and yeah, that's, they're like, yeah, for sure. So I've been trying to do, before I, I love meeting people, person to person. So it's really been an adjustment for myself to now go to the Zoom call. Okay. And for, uh, for myself uh, as well, normally I love to meet a buyer in person. Uh, when they're just starting out, we'll have a 45-minute buyer orientation or consultation. And I've now set up uh, a PowerPoint presentation that I can do via Zoom. So if you're looking to buy a house or a condo in Winnipeg, give me a shout, send me an email or text me 204-333- 2202, or you can email me at bonosehomes at gmail.com. I'll be happy to set up a Zoom consultation with you. That way you don't have to drive anywhere. We don't have to worry about, you know, having the Silkwood shower afterwards and uh, disinfecting ourselves and all that. But we can definitely have a, a buyer consultation online and, and get you started on the right foot. Now to wrap it all up, I want everybody here to kind of shout out their name and their contact information, best way to get a hold of them. Brad, we'll start with you. It's Brad McClelland at McRoberts Law Office, LLP. Uh, best way to get a hold of me is either my direct line, 204-944-7923. I get uh, my voicemails right to my email, so I'm always getting them. And my email is btm at mlo hyphen uh, Rene. So my name is Rene Rowe. I, uh, best way to reach me is obviously by phone, uh, 204-997-3848. I do also accept texts with that phone. The next way is, is via email, rene.rowe, so R-E-N-E dot R-H-E-A-U-L-T at a buyer's choice. Uh, that's how I communicate with you guys after the fact. And even through my, my website, winnipegsouthwest.abuyerschoice.com, uh, you can actually book an, an inspection right on that email or right on that website and then um, get a hold of my schedule and, and see what's available, things like that. Okay. Uh, Tom Johnson? Yeah, best way to get a hold of me is on my cell phone these days, 204-229-4405. Give me a call or text. You can also check out our website, cascadefinancialgroup.com. Uh, or if you want to follow me on Instagram, I do a few uh, a few posts a week on some 
generic financial planning advice. So if you're looking to pick up some free advice, follow me at tom.at.cascade. Okay, and bringing up the end here, uh, Sandy and Mike. I'm Sandy Heinen, and you can reach me at 204-996-6046 or Sandy with an I um, at winnipegmortgagebroker.com. You can reach me at, uh, again, my name is Mike Cabral. You can reach me at 204-997-5021 or you can reach me via email mcabral at 204mortgageswithans.com. Yeah, and you can fill out, check out the application online as well. Okay, I want to thank all of you for, uh, for being here. And uh, if anybody's missed this, it's going to be on uh, a video. It's going to be posted on YouTube in the next day or so. But I want to thank all of you for your contributions. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks for hosting both. Thanks for having us both. Okay. Appreciate it. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye everybody. Real stories of buying a home with Bo Kaufman. There wasn't a lot on the market in the range that we were looking for. We just kind of walked in there. He wanted certain things. I wanted certain things. And kind of walked in there and thought, wow, this is really nice. Just right away, we both kind of knew we really wanted it. Bo was like, okay, we're going to try to get this. Basically, Bo explained that the house is uh, technically sold, but it's conditional upon the sale of another house. To trump that, we have to go in with an unconditional offer. I knew it'd be no problem, so we went and did it. And we'll be signing our mortgage papers tomorrow. What do you look for in a real estate agent? Just someone that you can trust, someone that you know that will get the job done. Find it in Bo Kaufman. I would certainly refer anyone to him. He's really a great person. Visit Bo at winnipeghomefinder.com. You've been listening to Bo Kaufman of Remax Performance Realty. Are you thinking of buying or selling a house or a condo in Winnipeg? Call Bo at 204-333-2202. Remember, Bo knows real estate.